Hello and welcome to the third in our series of podcast conversations with the Resilience Centre talking about suicide, while the title could be understandably confronting. I'm struck by how much hope and honesty and very practical strategies are emerging to help us deal more openly with a subject that until recently has been a great taboo. I'm Lee Hatcher, and this time I'm in conversation with Sarah Piper and Ruth Fordyce, two psychologists at the Resilience Centre. Last time we looked at a circumstance where we might ask someone, are you okay? And they say, well, actually, I'm not okay. Well worth catching up on. This time, what if a young person answers, yeah, I'm fine, but you're not sure. I'm sure you'll be struck at the golden practical wisdom for all parents and friends that Ruth and Sarah cover. Sarah and Ruth, welcome. Thank you. It's great to see you again. Hi, Ray. Thank so, you. Sarah, I'll start with you. Why would a young person say that? There's probably a range of reasons, I guess. I think it would be like a code, essentially, for a number of things. If we really do have a hunch that something's not right, it might be code for, I'm not really fine, but I'm going to keep up this I'm okay face for as long as I can. Like a pretense. A little protective, like a little bit of denial also from from the child. They might not realise that whilst they've looked okay for a while, that now all of a sudden they're not really looking okay. They may not actually be able to see that themselves. I think it also might be code for, uh, I don't think you'd understand. I don't actually get it myself, so how would you? Or it might just be, I just can't explain it. And so for people who can't communicate very well about how they're feeling, they don't want to talk about it. So I'm fine is not really the truth. No, it's just that they can't explain it. Sometimes it might be the truth. That's the tricky bit, I suppose. It is tricky for parents because we don't want to go digging around for a problem that actually isn't there. And I think it's tricky for parents too because some of the things that they might be concerned about can be within the scope of normal adolescent behaviour. Yes. So they're pulling away a bit. They're spending more time on their own in their room or with their friends and a little bit less time with the family unit. That's actually a very normal part of adolescent development. So I think it, it is tricky for parents to discern and I think really it comes down to observing over time watching and and noticing the different things that you're seeing in your teenager to put together a whole picture of whether they're really fine or or not. I agree, Uh, yet I think if you have a hunch that somebody's not okay, it's good to follow it up because there could be things that they're going through like that they're struggling to believe that you care after what you said or did. The I'm fine is also code for I just can't trust you anymore. And so I think sometimes we have to actually lean in and do a little bit of repair work there. It also might be code for just don't try and get into my headspace. It's cluttered enough in here and it's pretty dark, so you probably can't do much about it. So it's actually like a doubt that if they opened up that anything could be done. It's a fairly hard place for a teenager to be in or any person to be in. And a hard place for the parent to be in. I mean, where do you go with that, I suppose? Absolutely. Like I said, just leaning in and not being afraid to at least be there or Mm. say something. It's probably worth saying that these scenarios are not just played out in a family, say parent to child. It could be a friend, could be a wider family member, even teacher, really anyone, I suppose. We're all in touch with people at some level and it's instinctive in some cases to want to hide or just to hope that it'll get better all on its own. 
in many conversations it's people's instinct to say, yes, I'm fine, I'm okay. And certainly I think one of the things Sarah and I would both hear sometimes from our clients in sessions is the concern that people don't want to burden other people. So they think a lot about how it will affect the other person. And so I think that's one of the things that can sometimes guide our response. If we ask someone, are you okay? And they say, yeah, I'm fine, or I'm okay. That if we don't know what else to ask, sometimes it can be helpful just to make a comment along the lines of, well, I'm here and I'm really interested to know. And if there's anything you do want to share and it feels hard to share it, I would really want to make the effort. I think it's good to let people know I would actually consider that a privilege yeah. if you really shared with me how you are. So if you're fine, that's fine. But if you're not, I'd, I'd, I would always be here if you want to let me know how you're going. I've had on more than one occasion a client come and see me, who's told a young person who's told me that it was actually their friends who very bravely went to their parents, the client's parents, to say, I don't think she's okay. Wow. When you've built some connections with your child's friends, you know, there's that a little bit more of that bridge there and I just think a lot of our young people are becoming incredibly knowledgeable about these mental health issues and just so brave and they've done the right thing you know to go and alert someone's parent to say we're seeing some signs at school and we just want to check in and, and make sure that our friend is okay. Yeah, because kids are becoming increasingly aware of mental mm. health issues, totally. which is a fantastic yes. thing. And when I was having a conversation with my son just yesterday before I was doing this podcast, he said, oh, mum, we're learning about this in PDHPE subject. Mm. He was quite in tune with, with some of the things I was talking about. So mm. that's very helpful, I, I it's think. a great sign. That we're using that in through education because kids know what to do. They know how important it is. If I put myself in the head of the young person, and I think this goes across the board to any person of whatever age, I've got to be confident that the person to whom I'm speaking really cares. Mm. So I might not just want to be bothered. Because, yeah. you know, I might say to Dad, Dad, you'll just want to fix it. Yeah. And that's yeah. not what I'm after. So I think, yeah. oh, look, I'm fine. Mm. <laughs> and I'm mm. not. I actually asked one of my uh, young people in my extended family recently, what would you want somebody to say if you felt you couldn't express how you were really feeling? And they said, I just want you to be gentle. I don't want you to push yourself on me. Mm. I want you to be gentle and just be there and say, I'm here if you want to talk about it. That's Mm, quite revealing. Yeah, I thought that was really insightful coming from a young person. Mm. And probably a good bit of wisdom for adults you might actually need to ask what's appropriate because you're the adult, you know everything, not. <laughs> so it might pay to ask. That's wise that we can sometimes preempt with our young person to say to them, look, if there's anything that you're wanting to tell me but you're actually worried about how I'll react or you're worried it'll affect me that I'm too busy or I'm too stressed or, you know, I, I really want to be here for you so let me know if there's something you want to tell me how you'd like me to be with you in that. But it's still going to be pretty hard, pretty sticky, no matter who you are, parent, friend or family member. It is a challenging position to be in. Absolutely, because you feel quite responsible. If you think you're the only one that has that hunch that they're not okay, you feel quite responsible. But you can also feel helpless that the person said, I'm fine, and they've shut you out. 
you can feel frustrated with them because you could think, oh, they always do this. They always shut me out. They don't want to express how they're feeling. I tell them everything. Why don't they tell me anything? <laughs> you can just hear it. <laughs> yeah, especially between two friends. You can have somebody who's very verbose and open and then yeah. somebody who's mm. a little bit like a clam. Should we say this to them? It's not all about you, actually. might need to listen more than you speak. I think so. That was one of my initial thoughts, that we have to remember that when somebody's in trouble, that it's not about us, yeah. that it's about them. They're in a really difficult situation. They probably don't know how to open up. They don't know how to explain their feelings or how anybody could help them. So we're just best to say that we're there, we're ready to be listening and non-judgmental. The I'm fine might be code for I'd like to be honest with you and say I'm not okay but if I told you what's bothering me and you thought it was nothing or you just told me to get over myself mm -hmm. then I'd feel worse. So I'm best not to say anything. Yes. Mm -hmm. At this point we know how important it is when we listen to somebody who's going through a rough time to validate that that's really hard because sometimes they either can't see it themselves or it's too big for them to talk about. And it's a very sensitive matter. So being able to say to them, gee, that's pretty hard. What you're going through is mm. huge. Have you realized how huge that is? So they feel validated. Yes, mm. and that will often mean that they open up. Yeah. They feel heard and that they feel it's okay to say, they're not okay. Yeah. Go the next step. I think yes. also it's very powerful for parents to simply say, thank you for sharing that with me. Just to honour, that must have been hard. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's really significant that you've opened up. I appreciate that. That can go a long way too. What wisdom. I also want to say that we could be worried that we'll push them too far. So they've said, I'm fine. We push them a little bit and then they say, I'm fine again. Did you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then we can start to feel rejected. We yes. can start to maybe feel really frustrated that they don't want to open up, but yet we're trying as hard as we can. We have to be careful that we're not getting too emotional about this situation ourselves. And so therefore, it's really good for us to be taking care of ourselves. So if we're a carer of somebody who we think is not okay... We need somebody to talk to. We need to be able to bounce that off somebody else. Hey, I know somebody who I think's not fine. What do you think? So being able to just talk about that with somebody else or just make sure that we're looking after ourselves so that we can be there when they are ready to talk. Mm, I think that's so true, Sarah. I think that parents of young people really need to look after their own resilience. And I think my observations are that there's a lot of opportunities for parents and probably for the stay-at-home parent when kids are very young to connect and have a bit of a tribe through a mother's group or a play group or just people at the park, that sort of thing. And I think one thing that can happen is parents can get a bit isolated yes. when their young people are growing up, going to high school and, and graduating and so on. And I think it's really important for parents to have you know their own support network and to be able to do a bit of their own self-reflection. Am I making time to be there for my teenagers? Um, am I doing things that connect with my teenager on their level? You know, just taking the time to reflect and think about that and, and have I got the support that's helping me emotionally show up and be present in a helpful way for my young person? This is such great wisdom. Can I get practical? I'd like to 
pick your brains about practical things you could do in this kind of scenario. And also talk a bit about the quality of the relationship that's involved here because there's got to be trust, there's got to be familiarity and there's got to be an openness both ways. Mm, which doesn't always come that easily when no. you're parenting teenagers. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about my own teenagerhood actually. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's it's not always easy to ask the hard questions. It, it, sometimes it's just not easy to just hang out with them. Maybe they'd rather just be with their friends. Maybe they'd rather be on their own. Maybe they don't think it's cool to be with mum or dad. And there's just a whole lot of feelings going on both ways uh, between a teenager and a parent. But there are practical things you could do as a parent or mm. as a friend. Yes. Mm. I think firstly... If Parents are thinking about how to open up communication where they feel it's become shut down a little bit over time. A couple of things that can help take the pressure off. One is to think about what activities you can do that are a little bit more side by side with your teenager. Because sometimes we go in for the intense face to face conversation. We want to, yeah, <laughs> that's right. We want to sit down, maybe you know, on their bed next to them when they're on their phone, you know, and get in their face and what's going on? Are you okay? Talk to me. The benefit of a side-by-side activity, and what I mean by that is things where you might be driving in the car somewhere, you might be walking the dog together, you might be cooking together, and and thinking about what it is that engages your young person, something that they like to do. Actually doing those activities, there's not quite the intensity of staring at each other's faces, and there's also the feeling that we're doing something together, so it enables a little bit of just chat about whatever it is we're doing, and in between just finding those little moments to to connect, to have a bit of a chat about what might be going on in their life. I was the one to spend most of the time teaching our four kids to drive Mm. and I always recognised that that was a very important time not only for them to learn to drive but to talk and it was exactly what you're saying and I thought this is probably one of the last effective times that Mm. we'll connect like this side by side. Yeah, and I think the other thing worth mentioning is that for some people who find talking quite hard, you can use writing a little bit creatively. And I think as a parent, you can take the opportunities to put into writing the things you want to share with your kids, just little notes, texts, whatever it might be to remind your young person that I care for you. These are your strengths that I see. Um, We love having you in this family. I think that's a really good message to communicate because I know that some of the young people I work with, when they are having suicidal thoughts... One of the things that they say when I say, like, what keeps you going? You know, what makes you still want to live and still be here? They talk about their loved ones. You know, they talk about how I know that people would miss me if I wasn't here and I don't want to do that to them. So I think that's a powerful thing that we can remember. Even if your young person is finding it hard to talk to you, you can still remind them of those positive messages. And you can allow space for them if they feel comfortable. You can say, you know, you can always write back to me. Um, I've known of families that have actually started a communication book, you know, just a journal or even an, just an exercise book, but, you know, where you can write notes in there and say anything you want to write back to me, I will read and I will respond to. I'll write back to you. And it's worth saying this is not a text. This is not an email. Mm-hmm. I mean, write it out yeah. physically. They're not used to that. No, so, and it, so it carries so a significance yes. that something's just turned up on my on my pillow. Totally. Oh, it's a, a letter from my dad or, you know, a notebook that How's we've that started done? to actually communicate and share what's going on. Yeah. 
I think that can be very powerful. My daughter was in a class in primary school once where the teacher at the beginning of each year or term, I think it was, would say, here's a box and it's called Things I Wish My Teacher Knew About Me. And children could write anything they wanted. So they could write to the teacher, they could say anything from I have three dogs and one cat to my mum and dad aren't getting along very well at the moment or I feel sad quite a lot and I cry myself to sleep. Mm. Like, and when a teacher picks up something like that, that creates an opening for a conversation. Now, you could do that in a family. You could, um, yeah. Quite easily. Totally. When I was doing a bit of work on emotions coaching a few years ago, I read about sort of a table topic at the dinner table, which was just called feelings talk. So sometimes we put a bit of a structure to our dinner table conversations in families. And one of them was feelings talk, which was, what's a feeling you've had today? And sometimes that can just open up. Yeah, just talk about feelings, that we all have feelings, that all feelings are valid. It's oh. good to start that early. Like you wouldn't yes, probably start, you wouldn't start that when they're teenagers. No, <laughs> but it does go to the relationship again. Mm. That relationship has to be there right from the start of the child's life, really. Absolutely, yeah. So the, the way that we, we do the family dinner and we turn off the TV and we all sit around and we eat together and to put in just certain structured type of questions that we ask each other each time, it can, can help. It can help on those nights that nobody feels like talking. It can help on those nights where we just know we need to bring some kids out. It's a nice um, thing for young families to think about. It's probably also worth saying... No TV, no other screens as well. Just for half an hour. Absolutely. Yeah. And that means adults turn their phone off too. too right. They don't even they don't take that work call. Lead by example. Mm. Yeah. There are other things we can do that don't even require talking that actually are just uh, activity based. I think remembering to show affection to our young people and often a teenager will shrug you off or roll their eyes or <laughs> you know, get um. off me. But something is still getting through. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I think it's important to do that. And again, as Sarah was saying, don't feel rejected. Just see that as normal, that you're, you're expressing your care. They might be shrugging you off a bit, but that, that's okay. That's your role. You know, it's important to show love in that way. I'll still be back for dinner. That's right. That makes me think of a time where I went through a phase where I gave my children a 10-second hug. I must have read an article about it or something and thought it was a good idea at the time. And after about a week, one of my kids said, Mum, can we make it about two seconds? Awkward. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think as parents we, we go through these phases and, and, and they're, all, they're all attempts to connect. Yeah. Um, and, and just on that writing one we were talking about writing before, I asked my daughter recently what she might do if she had a friend who was shutting her out by saying, I'm fine, and she said, I'd write them a card. She said, I wouldn't say much. She said, I'd let them know I'm thinking of them. Mm. Maybe they haven't been themselves lately and that I'm here to talk any time. That friend might keep it for their life. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. their lifetime. I think too that parents of teenagers often end up being 
a facilitator in their young person's lives of all the other things that are um, important to that teenager. So as I was saying earlier, it's quite normal that a teenager is starting to pull away a little bit from the family unit. And they might have some other things in their life now that are important to them, not only their friends, but maybe they've formed a special connection with some of the teachers at school. Um, They might have their own part-time job. They might have a particular sport, hobby, passion that they're pursuing. And I think parents of teenagers also can do a lot just by connecting their young person with those activities that mean a lot to them, showing an interest in them, supporting them, making sure that if if you've got any concerns that your young person isn't okay, that they really are connecting in with those places that bring them that joy, places where they get those positive messages that you matter, that there's some really cool things about you that are growing and developing. I think sometimes, yeah, parents underestimate how key that is to really help facilitate those things, take an interest in them and see them as really important. And that's not taking away from your parent relationship. It's actually really nurturing the connection you have with your child. It's like it takes a village. Yes. It takes a village. It's it's the part-time job and the relationship they have with the boss. It's the guitar teacher. It's the tennis coach. All those people. And when we can be communicating with them as their parent just just to know them but we can also be transporting our children to those things and asking them how it's going just being interested is a is a big thing for young people one of the concepts that can be helpful in terms of connecting with our young people uh, might be the five love languages oh Um, yes yeah that's the concept it's written in gary chapman's book uh, he is and has a book called The Five Love Languages of Your Family and yeah, that might be helpful for people to think about what it is that really gets your child to sense that they are loved. So it may be gifts, it may be quality time, it may be affection. There's a number of them. Because no two children are the same. Exactly. Yeah. And the way that we receive our love may not be the way that our child receives yes. love. That's so true, Sarah. One of the other love languages is words of affirmation. So a parent might be very wordy themselves and really love chatting and hearing people affirm them, but their child perhaps might be more practical. So there's another love language that's acts of service. So they might feel more comfortable doing things or being loved by the way that you care for them. And I know we joke in our family that one of our love languages is food. And I think that's something, again, parents might underestimate. But I know some of the senior students who come to see me, how encouraged they are that their parent will just bring them a little snack while they're studying or maybe make their favourite meal the night before an exam. Like it's a way that we can communicate again without even using words that, hey, I'm thinking of you and you matter and I know you, I know what is going to help you feel loved. Can I just say on my behalf that is so true. For the effort involved, the power of it's immeasurable. If we have a hunch that our young person or our friend is not okay and we feel that we need to act on it, it is important to have a conversation with them. And I think there's a lot of coming out in the media over this next couple of weeks with the Are You OK Day and Mental Health Week. The Black Dog Institute has a very good fact sheet out at the moment, which is named Tackling the Topic of Suicide with Your Child, a Guide to Having the Conversation. So you might want to check that out on the Black Dog Institute website under the news section. Tackling the topic of suicide? With your child. Okay, we'll search for that. Lee, can I just finish with one thing? Sure, yeah. This conversation we've had reminds me of the 
timeless wisdom of Winnie the Pooh <laughs> and, and that lovely uh, situation where Pooh starts off with, today was a difficult day. And Piglet says, do you want to talk about it? And Pooh says, no. And after a bit, he says, no, I don't think I do. That's okay, said Piglet. And he came and sat beside his friend. What are you doing? asked Pooh. Nothing really, said Piglet. Only I know what difficult days are like. I quite often don't feel like talking about it on my difficult days either. But goodness, continued Piglet, difficult days are so much easier when you know you've got someone there for you. And I'll always be here for you, Pooh. That's lovely. Yes, it's kind of a good summary of what we've been talking about today. So I thought I'd add that in. This is totally bizarre for me to say this about a podcast on suicide and talking about suicide. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, (laughs) full of such practical wisdom and from a wealth of experience from both of you. Sarah and Ruth, thank you so much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. You've been listening to another podcast talking about suicide from the Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. We'd love you to share these important conversations on your socials. And you can head to the website for more podcasts in this series and many more. So many great resources. www.theresiliencecentre.com.au